It's the Sunday Cafe on Magic Talk. Right, well, if you have a dog or are considering adding a dog to the whānau, there's one question you might be asking, what breed of dog should I be getting? There are so many out there. And perhaps another question we should be asking is, is this dog suitable for Kiwi conditions? Or could I handle this sort of breed? One man who's across all of this is our fantastic dog behaviourist, Darren Rowe. Darren, good morning to you. Good morning, Mitch. How are you today? I'm well. Whereabouts are you in the country this morning, Darren? Um, we're down, I'm down in Cambridge today. Oh, beautiful. How's the weather down there? Oh, gorgeous sunshine. Beautiful. Hopefully it will last. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, Darren, look, what should, we be looking, what should we be looking for when purchasing a dog maybe for the first time in terms of breeds? So I'm, I'm a, there's a couple of different things I think we need to be looking at. We need to be looking at our lifestyle, first of all, and we certainly need to be looking at um, what type of dog we have an affinity towards. But I think um, what's been happening over the last few years is, is quite interesting and a bit disturbing in lots of ways with the different breeds that are popping up it seems to be a different um cocker um poodle or doodle or whatever popping up all the time so i think people are just getting really confused about what dog they can have nowadays because there's so many different types yeah is there, is there, is there a case of a lot of crossbreeding or importing yeah. or what is it it is a lot of crossbreeding. Can, can, um, can I set the scene a little bit with a bit of history? Yeah, go so for it. it might under, people might understand where, where all these breeds have come from, really. Um, back in the uh, 1900s with the Victorians, there were only about 27 different types of breed out, and they were called sheepdog and guarding dog and herding dog and that kind of thing. That was their names. And they were literally bred for a particular um, job, and that was, that was how they were bred. And then... Um, what happened in about 1830, there was, uh, there was um, the, the dog fighting, so the massive dog fighting uh, um, ring in the UK. It was suddenly banned um, with the SPCA's help. And what happened, there was a surplus of dogs that were left over, fighting dogs, and also a lot of gamblers out there. And, and gambling was quite a big thing in the UK at that point. So what happened, that's where the, the, they would meet with these dogs and they would um, have beauty shows. <laughs> so from dog fighting to beauty shows. It's quite different, <laughs> isn't it? Bars. Yeah, crazy. And, and they, were, they were gambling on which dog was the nicest dog. And from that, a guy called Henry Walsh sort of ended up standardising the, the different breeds. And, and then that's where we get the sort of kennel club and, and the breed standards and all that kind of shows from and nowadays. Yeah. And, and then what happened over that time, um, the different pure breeds were, were um, mixed and crossed, um, to, some to bring back some of the older breeds that have been extinct, like the Irish Wolfhounds, which was extinct in some like the 1700s, and they brought that one back through selective breeding. And, and the Victorians were very precise in the way that they bred the dogs to make sure that genetic diseases weren't followed through and carried on, that sort of stuff. So this concept of crossing breeds is, is quite not a new one. It happened a lot in the, in the Victorian times. And the aristocracy picked up, so like the you know the, the rich and famous middle class and upper class people picked up these these dogs, um, and that's how the poodles and all these sort of fancy looking dogs have, have turned up. We're kind of going through another ring of that at the moment, aren't we? Really, where we're crossing all of the the different poodles and and spoodles and, and whatever we can call them nowadays, really. So we're going through a second run of that, but I don't think it's happening for the right reasons. Possibly, um, some yeah. people out there are doing it. Um, for the right reasons, the, the first Labradoodle was um, back in Australia in 1988, I think it was, um, a guy called Wally, Australian guy who crossed a hypoallergenic dog and the Labradoodle for an assistant dog for the guide dogs, um, raw guide dogs. Mm. Well, that's but I'm a bit worried. I'm a bit worried now, Mitch, really, about the different breeds. I mean, I, I went through, uh, have you heard some of the names? We've got Morkies, Pouchons, P- Puggles, Moshi. What's a Puggle? Oh, I know. I had to write these down because I was really struggling. So a Puggle is a, a Pug and a Beagle. Uh-huh. And there's um, there's a, a, a Pugapoo, so yeah. a Pug and a Poodle. Um, we've got a Zushon, which is a Shih Tzu and a Bichon. 
Oh, it, it's never we laugh, ending. but it's actually quite sad, isn't it? It is, yeah, because what's happened over the years is the, the Kennel Club have spent years and years and years perfecting, perfecting is probably not the right word, but making sure that those breeds are um, pure. And when I say pure, I don't mean um, that sort of like sort of race thing. It's more making sure the genetics are, are um, not detrimental to the dog. Yeah. And now what we're doing is we're adding all of these dogs together. And I, I guarantee when I looked on Travey, most of these people have no idea about pedigree. You know, I've, know um, what they're doing. I've always wanted, like I've grown up wanting to get a pug dog, right? And I had a friend that had one. And I actually, now I don't want one because I've heard all these stories about sort of interbreeding and how it's actually unfair on them because they have all these breathing issues because they've been yeah. so crossbred. Is that the case? Um, uh, it is certainly. Um, a lot of the, the sort of flat-faced dogs certainly have breathing issues. And, and I think, um, again, the Kennel Club is trying to eradicate those genetic problems. I think it's within the breed anyway. And, and possibly this would be one issue where the uh, the crosses with a poodle or something like that might actually help that breed. It might develop into another breed because of the medical problems there. So that might be a beneficial thing for the pug, perhaps. But your purest pug breeders would probably shoot me for that i'm sure <laughs> hey what do you think about um you know you talked about how different things have impacted you know different breeding over the years since the 1700s what role do you think maybe social media has in yeah. uh in, in getting sort of this designer perfect sort of yeah. photo so, dog so certainly back in the victorian times the the whole crossbreeding really flew from like 27 to 80 different types within the space of about 50 years. And that was because the aristocracy picked up, you know, the rich people. We've got a similar thing now um, with the with the designer dogs. So a lot of the celebrities have, have picked up the Labradoodles and, and, and a lot of the smaller lap dogs. Yeah. So obviously they're, they're on social media all over the place. So unfortunately, I like to say that people are picking dogs for the right reasons. But if um, Paris Hilton's got a, a certain dog, and we'll, we'll come on to another breed in a minute, um, a certain dog, then... You know, everyone's going to want one of them, aren't they, really? So, yeah, massive effect. But people aren't really thinking about the, the dog itself. They're thinking about the way it looks, I yeah. guess. I've just looked um, up the Puggle Dog. Yeah. Just looked up the Puggle Dog. You can get one for about $5,000. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the other thing. Yeah, they're, exp <laughs> they're expensive, was, too, and they're, in, they're interbred, so it's quite unhealthy to have them. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, was, I was amazed when I went on trade me earlier on. Um, the price of the designer dogs are, are almost three, uh, two, three, four times as much as your pedigree dog. Is that right? And, and at the end of the day, if you, want, if you do want a designer dog and you want a mixed breed um, designer dog, which is what they are, go to the rescue centre because there's loads of them there. They just haven't got fancy names, but they're all mixed breed dogs. <laughs> With these mixed breed dogs, you know, these designer dogs we talk about, are there more likely to be health issues down the line based on how they have been created? Are you more likely to end yeah. up having to pay a lot more money in vet bills? Uh, there's, there's always that potential, isn't there? Because, like, again, um, when you mix two dogs together, um, it's actually harder because you, you have to go away and do your research about two different breeds because there's, there's bound to be genetic problems and, and, and issues with certain dogs. And, and when we mix two together, potentially we've got, if it's a bad mixing and the pedigree's not there, um, we've got two sets of problems that could come out. That could then mix and make an even worse problem. So, yeah, there is a huge potential there. Mm. Um, some would say that when you mix two dogs, if you mix them correctly, then you could get this what they call hybrid vigor, which is um, kind of helps and eliminates some of the um, diseases. So yeah. it just depends on those breeders what they, if they know what they're doing and when they mix, if they're mixing the right dogs with the, with, without the genetic diseases. But unfortunately, I think a lot of the backyard breeders, which is where most of those dogs come from, I think, from what I can see on trade meat, they're, they're probably not 
not doing that. There's no pedigree there anyway, so we don't know. Yeah, it is uh, 14 minutes past nine here on Magic Talk. We're talking with Darren about designer dogs and different breeds of dogs. Remember, if you want to get in touch, uh, we are taking calls and texts on this. You can ring us 0800 747 is the number, or you can text us 3920. I've got a text in here from Cindy. She says, people have selfish reasons for breeding these dogs. Popular apartment dwellers want smaller to medium breeds, which don't shed hair, like Labradoodles and Bichon Frise Crosses. Something you'd agree with, Darren? Um, Yeah, but I think what people need to understand is that all dogs shed. It's just the amount that they shed. So the poodle, by definition, doesn't shed as much um, hair, but it it still does shed, okay? Um, And also, it's only, uh, I might be wrong, but as far as I remember, it's only the first generation um, of poodle cross that actually you can guarantee that don't shed. So a, a friend of mine who's bought a, um, I can't even pronounce it now, a retro-doodle something or other, I think it was. Um, and she paid about two and a half thousand for this puppy um, with the expectation it wasn't going to shed and, and it's shedding all over the place. So oh, you've well. got to be a bit careful. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't always work out. No, but I, right. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're talking with uh, Darren Rowe, our dog behaviourist. We're going to be back after a short break and then I want to talk to Darren about what dog is good if it's your first dog. Do stay with us on Magic Talk. Peter Williams, weekday mornings on Magic Talk. So you have to say the government policy on state housing since about the mid-1980s has been wrong, especially in the John Key Bill English years. The government policy on state housing has been to move the problem to someone else. And we have this major issue now, which has resulted in huge waiting lists and a living-in-motels policy, which is costing $100 million a year. I think we have to accept that there will always be a need for a lot of state housing. I'd say to the government, drop the stupid Kiwi build concept, which has been a massive waste of money and time-consuming failure, and concentrate on social housing. As a taxpayer, wouldn't you rather have the government owning real estate and taking an income from it rather than paying rent to motels. Peter Williams. Join the conversation. Weekday mornings 9 till 12 on the Magic Talk Network. You're back on the cafe here on Magic Talk. Mitch McCann in for Roman through till midday today. God, what a bumper show we're having. We're talking uh, dog breeds with Darren. Thank you for uh, joining us, Darren. Hey, look, I want to ask you, if this is the first dog you've ever bought or you're thinking about buying a dog, there's a lot to take into account. But maybe what is a, a good breed to start off that isn't going to be too uh, demanding, I guess? Um, I think the first thing to think about is there's a couple of different factors. So you've got to think of your age, first of all. Um, if you're quite old, then you're not going to want a dog that's like crazy running around unless you're a very athletic um, person. Um, you've got to think about your lifestyle as well. Um, some dogs need a lot of exercise and some dogs don't. Yeah. Um, and also, I would say, think about kids. What I would say is, is as much as I'd love to say every rescue dog um, should be rehomed, sometimes a rescue dog's not always the best option, especially if you've got young kids and you've got a slightly older dog. So breed-wise, um, everyone always says go for the Labrador. Labradors can be quite hard work. They're, they're very excitable when they're puppies, and, and you have to be you know, pretty good trainer to, to get them uh, correct at the beginning, to, to sort of um, get them to, to, to not jump all over you. Mm. Um, so is there a right breed? I'm not really sure. I used to always think the Labrador or the Retriever. I think a Retriever is a pretty relaxed dog. That would be a good one to go for. Okay. Um, yeah. Breeds that I wouldn't go for, hard dogs, huskies, um, border collies, um, 
any of the herding dogs, they're very demanding dogs. Unless you've got a nice sort of um, uh, two two acre paddock or something like that, you can run them around. But certainly not the herding dogs. Yeah, one of my um, good friends here at, uh, at work has uh, bought a collie. They've had it for about a mm. year, um, and it's a be- oh, they're beautiful dogs, aren't they? But they yeah. are the, you know they need to run them a lot. They're very excitable. It takes a lot of energy to have one of those dogs. It does. You need to excite. You need to get their mind working. That's the thing that people do. They buy a, a working breed and they expect them to behave like a um, like a house dog. And, and you know, if they've got other dogs that they can play with, then you might get away with it. But they need to be stimulated mentally, and, and that's what people don't do with their dogs. And, now, and then you get problems. <laughs> I'm just really interested. You said maybe steer away from a rescue dog if it's your first dog. If you've got young children, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Why would you steer away from from one of those? It's. it's I mean. It, <laughs> don't want to put people off getting rescue dogs that's that's not what i'm talking about but but generally speaking from the behaviorist i get a lot of people that come to me with rescue dogs and they've got kids and then there's issues um if you get a puppy rescue dog then fine you know any problems that happens are your fault but with a rescue dog there might be all sorts of things there that you don't know about um and a lot of a lot of rescue dogs will be bounced back to the shelters because they they've come into a family they just haven't gone on with the kids they couldn't cope with kids maybe because they're you know just 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 the way it is or they've done something silly to the kids and then they get bounced back so it's it's quite hard when bringing a rescue dog anyway into a family mm. um, and you've got to be pretty onto it when you've got kids to make sure that that relationship forms correctly. You, you mentioned so. um, you mentioned husky dogs before and the reason yeah. I'm interested in that is because <laughs> I took my friend's border collie to a park about two weeks ago and there was another lady there that had a husky but it was rehomed because I think the original owner, uh, it was too much for them. So she'd taken yeah. on this husky and then by the end of the time we were at the park, the dog had run away and I'd had to help her find it and it had all <laughs> these sort of behavioural behavioral problems. And so is that yeah. something you get from, you know, rehoming a dog to a new owner, especially one like a husky that has to have so much attention? Yeah, so, so I mean, there's always a reason why a dog is rehomed in the first place. Um, and you, you can spin it however you like, but there's always been something that's happened that the owner's not dealt with. Normally people will, or quite often I'll get people ask me, uh, they bring a dog and it's got a behavioural issue. I tell them how long it's likely to take to, to change, and then they can't be bothered, so they, the next thing I get an email from people to say they're, re, they're rehoming it, but all they're doing is just passing that problem on, and they're probably not even telling that person that problem exists. Yeah. So then the next person gets the problem, and you can see how it just keeps going and going and going. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's hard with a husky because they've got such high drive, um, and, and you just need to work them all the time. Is, <laughs> it, is, it, is it fair to have huskies in New Zealand, given you know our temperature and things like that? I've always wondered whether or not mm. they're sort of you know Arctic dogs, or whether it's fair to actually have them in New Zealand. Where do you sit on that? Um, certainly, I see a lot of huskies will be um, outside dogs, yep. so they they'll live outside because it's just too hot from inside. Certainly in the summer, we I, I've, I've seen people shave, like the Border Collies have got the triple coat, uh, sorry, the, the double coats, and the Huskies have got the triple coats. Um, I wouldn't recommend shaving um, any of those dogs if the coats don't grow back properly, but yeah, it's a hard one, isn't it, because it's really hot. Um, you just got to make sure you're providing all those places that they can go and hide under the trees, and, and you could put lots of water down so they can go in there. Is it the right thing to do? <clears throat> Possibly not, maybe, but... Dogs are pretty adaptable, I would say, so they do adapt to their environments quite well. After yeah. a couple of years, they probably wouldn't even notice it. Yeah, I think you mentioned before, you know, there are plenty of people that are quick to defend their uh, dog breeds, and I've got a text in here, Darren. It says, hi, yep. I have a 10-year-old British Bulldog and a 4-year-old yep. Pug Dog with no breathing issues at all. 
all breeds yeah. can have problems. What about Labradors and German Shepherds? Hip and heart problems. <coughs> I got my dogs because yeah. of their lovely natures, not because they are popular. So not everyone's getting them because they're designer dogs, I guess. No, that's right. And certainly that there are, even, even within the Kennel Club, there are irresponsible breeders, I guess. And sometimes you just get, um, even though they really try hard to, to make sure those things uh, don't come out, you get genetic throwbacks, don't you? And, and it can happen even with that. But if you haven't got a program in place in the first place, then that's just going to get worse and worse and worse, isn't it? Mm. So. Hey, let's talk about some things that you need to think about when you're getting uh, a first dog. Obviously, we talked about the breed, but there's also so many other things, isn't there? So tell me about why it's important to register uh, a new dog, particularly maybe one that is being rehomed, because if they are, do have behaviour issues, you probably want them registered so you know where they are if they run away. Yeah, so so a lot of, I get this quite a lot, actually. A lot of people um, microchip, or the dogs come microchipped. And we automatically assume when we get a puppy that they're microchipped or an older dog that they're microchipped, therefore they're registered. You actually have to go and register your dog at the New Zealand Companion Animals if it's one of those microchips. Otherwise, it's going to be to the person before. And I used to, um, I used to work in the SBCA, and that was um, the amount of dogs that we would get coming in there that would be registered to the older breeders, and then you can just never find the owners. So first thing, get on the – I think you can do it online now, actually, and just, just register your dog to your name. That's the first thing to make sure. Um, were you thinking about registration with council? Mm. Yeah, registration yeah, so, with council, yeah. Yeah, so, so certainly, um, obviously, I recommend that you register the council. I think you've got up to six months for the puppy, but after that, you should register your dog, definitely. Mm. Um, I'm a great believer of that. I do think it does, the more people register, the more control we have over the dogs, and therefore, the more things that the council can do for us. Yeah. Maybe they could do more in some councils, I'm sure, but that's life, isn't it? <laughs> and there's also um, vaccinations, isn't there? I mean, as, uh, yeah. I, I'm a bit um, sort of naive on that issue. I mean, is it, is it <laughs> certainly required or, I mean, do you have to get the vaccinations or can you kind of, not that you would ever want to, but could you get a no. dog and not vaccinate it? Well, I think, I think we've only got to look at the, the measles outbreak to mm. kind of answer that question, really. Um, we, we take for granted, don't we, with, with a human disease like measles that, um, you know, we just don't see it anymore. But if we don't vaccinate regularly, then it comes back, basically. And the same with dogs. So, like, parvo is one of the biggest killers of puppies. And if we don't vaccinate that regularly, then it will start to come back and more dogs will start getting those diseases. So, yeah, I'm a great believer that we vaccinate. I'm not sure if, we, um, if, if I'm a believer you vaccinate every year. I think possibly every three years. But, again, go and speak to your vet um, and talk about that. They, they probably have better ideas about that one. But certainly those, those initial vaccinations within the first sort of 20 weeks, for sure. Yeah. Hey, um, yeah. Darren, I've got a question here from one of our listeners. Uh, he says, hi, Darren, it's Jim. I've just got a foxy puppy. She's nine weeks old, and I'm having a bit of trouble teaching her toilet training. What advice do you have? Oh, Jim, hi. Um, I reckon um, the first thing you need to look at, um, Jim, is crate training. And you can teach a puppy. We normally take about two to three weeks to teach our puppies um, to toilet train, and it's done and dusted. Then, if you look at a puppy, they've got a very small bowels and very small bladder. So whatever comes in within about 10, 15 minutes is going to come back out again. So as soon as they eat, you take them out to the toilet. As soon as they drink, you take them out to the toilet. Um, if they're sleeping and they wake up, straight out to the toilet. Um, it's pretty, pretty uh, scientific if you think. You can actually write down when they go to the toilet. And if you do that within a couple of days, then um, you'll have a routine that you'll puppy has and that won't change probably for the first sort of three four weeks and you can literally catch them every time and take them out and, and not have um, accidents what you can do is put them in the crate leave them in there for 20 minutes take them out take them to the toilet bring them back in put them in the crate give them toys obviously make their life a little bit interesting most of the time they're probably sleeping there at that age anyway so 
But yeah, it's quite an easy one. Um, if they, um, if Jim goes, Jim, if you go to the um, website and just drop me an email, I can send you through some stuff about that. What, how do they get in touch, Darren? What are your details? Darren? Yeah. So um, you can find me on the website. It's um, www.mindfulnessfordogs, and that's with a four, dot com. Um, and you can find me on Facebook, and you can also find me on Instagram. Fantastic. Hey, um, Darren, let's talk about the cost of getting a dog uh, and maybe one of these designer breeds. If you yeah. are worried about the cost of a dog, should you be even thinking about getting a dog? Because the way I look at it is they yeah. usually become part of, part of your family. You always you'll have the dog. It's a one-off payment. So, you know, is that something that people maybe take too much consideration of? If, you, if you're worried about the cost, maybe don't worry at all. Or where do you yeah, sit on I, that? Well I, well, I always say that if, you, if you're thinking of buying a dog and say you're spending, the average sort of cost for a, a pedigree dog is about 1500 to 2000 say. Um, if you can't afford to double that within the first year, then I, I think possibly you should be thinking about can I afford a dog because you're, you're talking about food, you're talking about um, medicine, you're talking about training, you're talking about socialization, and it's going to cost you about that much mm. to do that for the first year, I would say. Yeah, it is, it so, is yeah, a lot definitely. of money, isn't it? But it's, it is I mean, a lot of money. It's part of the family. Um, but, but then if you're looking at the, the, the crossbreeds, um, the mixed breeds, then we're talking anywhere between 1,000 to like 3,000. Have you, have you ever heard, Mitch, um, well, I remember about the, a teacup dog? A teacup dog. Yeah. Is that like a like a handbag dog? Yeah. This 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 threw me completely. I was looking at it um, a couple of days ago, and, and what they're doing. This is a, a typical example of the, the the mixed breeding going horrendously wrong. They're oh, I've just seen the, one on Google. Runt, oh. Yeah, they're taking the runts of the litter, the really small, like the really small schnauzer, toy schnauzer, and maybe a small pug, and they're they're um, mating them together so they get these miniature tiny miniature miniature dogs. Um, which have got all sorts of potential health problems and stuff like that, and that's becoming really picked up by the you talked about the social media. That's really been picked up by the celebrities, and, and I can see this being a major issue in New Zealand. I think the first ones have come in the last month. I've never seen something like that. They basically you nah. can sit them in your hand. They're like tiny yeah. little um, like ornaments. They're like a little toy. Yeah. Little toy dog. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So maybe um, steer clear. Of, Watch out for those of, ones. Yeah. And, and they're out. going. They're going for like three, four, five thousand dollars. Wow. And then Mad. all the vet bills probably on top of that. Yeah. Hey, on in terms of costs, where do you sit on pet insurance? Is this a must-have as soon as you buy a dog? Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, a lot of pet companies give you free insurance for puppies um, for the first um, three three months or so. And, and that's likely when you're going to have most of the issues. We, we normally have insurance up to about three or four, and then we don't tend to. Um, but we, because it's like any insurance, isn't it? You can put a lot of money into it and see nothing back. We, we put money away to cover anything that we like. We've got seven dogs, so we put a fair bit away. Um, and we may, you know, we had one situation where a dog broke, broke their leg and, and that kind of cleaned us out, but we're, we're building again. I think it's just down to what you, pref- what you think, if you're a risk taker or not. Yeah. Um, certainly some breeds, um, you might want to start getting insurance. But what I would say, if you're an insurance person, get it early because it's like anything. If the issue arises, then it's not going to be covered. Yeah. But just check check your policy, check your um, your excesses because sometimes you can have a policy and hardly anything's covered because the excess is so high. Yeah, that's that's the car. I had the problem with yeah. the car this week. That's another story. Hey, Darren, I've got a really important question here yeah. um, that a lot of people will wonder. It's from Peter Nelson. He says, hi, Darren. I would like a dog, but I live on my own and work full time. Are there any dogs that would be okay on their own while I'm at work? That's a really interesting one, isn't it, Peter? Um, 
I would say if you think about dogs, dogs are sociable animals, so they do like to have company. Definitely, that's why they're that's why they're domesticated so well. So certainly, um, yes, any dog can cope with being at home, but the highly strung dogs, um, you you wouldn't want like a um, a Weimaraner or Vizsla. Probably they're quite highly strung dogs generally. Um, so you probably wouldn't want one of those at home. Um, I think the the best thing to be thinking about is well. If I'm working all the time, all day, is there a place for a dog in my home anyway? Probably that's the first mm. question I'd be asking. What am I getting a dog for? Is it a selfish reason? And um, there's also daycares that you can take dogs to. And I, I think some, there's some really good daycares where they get that social interaction. Um, Breed-wise, um, it'd have to be a pretty laid-back dog, I would say. Um, and again... <laughs> Is there an actual dog that I would uh, pick? I'm not so sure, to be honest, anymore. Um, yeah. It's a really hard one to choose the, the best breed <laughs> for something like that. Certainly not a shepherd or, again, a herding dog, because yeah. they're going to go out of their mind. Hey, Darren, just before you go, I have one really quick question. We've got news headlines, but I'm running a little bit over time. Yeah, nice. uh, he says, hi, we have always had adult rescue dogs. There is always a lack of info of the dog's history. This then seems yeah. to become a bit of a guessing game, and it seems strange the SPCA cannot divulge any issues there may be. Is this something you've um, ever come across? Yeah, well, certainly um, I, I worked at the, um, the Hamilton one, the, the, the canine behaviourist there, and, and we were very upfront with any behavioural issues um, that we, we had noticed, and we certainly trained a lot of them before they left. Um, I think it's. I think they do need to to tell people but if you imagine if you think about when you're advertising a dog if the SPCA or any of the um, rescue centres started to say these are the issues these are the problems of a dog no one's ever going to um, rescue them are they yeah. so I think once you've made that commitment to take on a rescue dog then um, go and speak to a, a canine behaviourist or something like that um, there's going to be the standard issues they're, they're going to be really nervous the first three months they're going to be really good for you they're going to be settling in and then those behaviours will start to come out after three months generally yeah. um, they're going to be jumping up they're going to be biting they're going to be pulling on the lead they're going to be all the same things that you have with a normal dog it's just that the anxiousness and, and depending on how they've been treated so if they've been abused then they're going to be in trauma at the same time yeah. Yeah. so I think you, when you get a rescue dog just assume you're going to have issues Yep. And then get a trainer in early to start take, changing them before they actually come out. I would say that's the best option. Yeah, that's uh, that's good advice. I think. Hey, Darren, yeah. look, appreciate your time this morning. Enjoy your lovely no day in Cambridge. I will do. Fantastic. <laughs> that is Darren, our dog behaviourist this morning. If you want to get in touch with him, uh, he had his details a little bit earlier, so he'd love to hear from you.